You're going to love this. Just love it. Stuck in the middle with you, live from Los Angeles, California, the beautiful studios of KPFK, KPFK Pacifica Radios, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, 93.7 FM in San Diego, 99.5 FM in Ridgecrest and China Lake. 91.7 FM, KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org, on the Stitcher app, on the TuneIn app, on the Progressive Voices Channel, on Netroots Radio, and Indie Media Weekly, and now on iTunes. This is your Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Your friendly citizen investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Glad you could join us. We have a lot to cover today. And uh, is the election over for you? I know it's not for me, unfortunately. That's why I'm a little exhausted today, I think. Uh, Because most people, the election ends Tuesday night, election night, they're done my job just begins. As I warned you previously, uh, we find out a lot about what happened during the election, only in the days and the weeks and sometimes months after the election. So we're going to get to some of that straight ahead, along with my guest, my old friend, Greg Pallast, will be joining us. Speaking of the election not being over, by the way, uh, the president came out earlier this week uh, with this uh, clarion call. For net neutrality, gave this video statement. Um, and then I think it was the same day uh, or day after uh, he, he made a, a very clear statement to Republicans, even though Republicans had just taken over the uh, the U.S. Senate, made a very clear call, said, hey, I've waited for you guys to act on immigration. You haven't. So if you don't before the end of the year, I'm going to act. President Obama is also planning to send 1,500 more troops to Iraq. That's the bad part. But the good part, I suppose, if, if you can say that, is that he says he's not going to send them unless they are funded by Congress. So he's calling their hand on that as well. All of these things after the election leading me to say, who the hell is this guy? And where has he been for the last six years? Anyway, that's uh, that's kind of good and kind of interesting. Let's see if it if it continues. He also made a big deal with China last night. I hope to be talking with uh, about that with Desi Doyen. She will, of course, be joining us for the Green News Report a little bit later. A, a big climate story that the U.S. Uh, media missed entirely because of the recent elections. We will be covering that, and we will be taking a quick look back at a time when conservatives 
hard-right conservatives like Margaret Thatcher actually believed in science. Uh, and as I said, hopefully we'll be covering this breaking story today out of China. Also, George W. Bush is back. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, he came, and, and he's still certain, by the way, that the Iraq War was a terrific idea. Even on Veterans Day, this jerk comes out and says, hey, no, Iraq War, perfect, love it. What? There was a problem? Uh, so we unfortunately have yet another casualty to add to the death list from Bush's war in Iraq this week, even 10 years later. It's one that I happen to have a, a bit of a personal connection to. We'll be talking about that a little bit later in the show. But as I said, the elections, no, they are not over. And before I bring Greg on, I just want to give you an idea what I mean. Uh, so much of what happened last Tuesday, we begin to find out after it's over and after we start looking at the numbers and after we start analyzing the data. One place uh, that uh, this is an amazing story up in Stoughton, Wisconsin, just by way of example, Stoughton, Wisconsin, little uh, small town up there, uh, 5,350 people uh, approximately voted on Tuesday. They had a referendum on the ballot concerning Citizens United, this move to amend a project that would get money out of politics, basically calling on the U.S. Congress to pass an amendment to say that, uh, you know, corporations are not actually people and they can't spend money and so forth on, uh, on elections. So they got the, the citizens there. This was a referendum. They got it on the ballot. Uh, good for them. 5,000, more than 5,000 people showed up to vote. And they recently, uh, they, they, they have paper ballots up there in this particular town, hand-marked paper ballots. That's good. Uh, and then they looked at the numbers afterwards, and what did they find out? Oh, just 16 people voted out of more than 5,000, according to the computer tabulators where the paper ballots ran through. 16 votes. Now, I took a look at the ballot, and in fact, uh, this referendum was on the backside of the ballot. It was the only item that was on the backside of the ballot. So could that account for it? Hardly. Not 16 votes out of 5350 that were cast. Clearly, there was a problem. The city clerk there says, yes, apparently it was a programming error on the ESNS DS200 optical scan machines. These same machines which, have been, which are used all over Wisconsin, are used all over New York, Ohio, Florida, all of these key states. These are the very same optical scan computers that lost thousands of votes in New York back in 2010. And we still use this crap. We use it, we use it everywhere. And I always tell people, you know, great, you get a hand-marked paper ballot, that's terrific. But those are still counted in almost all cases by computers. And they either count them correctly or they don't. The only way to find out is if we count them by hand, begging the question why we're using those machines in the first place. So up in Stoughton, Wisconsin, they had to count them by hand because it was so clearly out of whack. 16 votes out of more than 5,000 votes. They did a hand count uh, beginning this Monday, and so far, based on the hand count of the paper ballots, it looks like uh, the, the referendum to overturn Citizens United in Stoughton, Wisconsin, Wisconsin passed by a huge margin, 4,440 yes votes to 992 no votes. But that was because they noticed that there was a problem. 
And one of the great uh, progressives up there, uh, a woman by the name of Karen McKim with the Wisconsin Grassroots Network, um, she had some great coverage on this. We covered it at Brad Blog. Uh, she noted this spot on point. She said, had this programming error been a, a simple flip, telling the machines to count yes votes from no bubbles and vice versa, and not the blatantly obvious error that it was, the municipal canvas would almost have certainly have certified the results without examining even one actual ballot. The Stoughton newspaper would be coming up with perfectly believable reasons why theirs was the first city ever to vote 75% no instead of 75% yes. And a few referendum backers and election integrity activists would be saying, that's got to be a miscount to anyone who would listen, which, she adds, would not be many. Bingo. So keep that in mind when we're talking about election results today and for the next few weeks and months when it comes to 2014, that almost none of the ballots that were cast on Tuesday, November 4th, were actually verified by human beings. They are either tabulated right or wrong. We don't know. So that was one of the uh, points. That's just by way of one example. And I've got other stories that I've been working on. Some I've reported at bradblog.com. Others I have not yet gotten to. Uh, but I, a lot of concerns about a lot of places the more we look at what happened in 2014. And we talked a little bit about it last week on, uh, on this show. Nate Silver of 538 uh, came out and said, well... All of the uh, polls, all of the pre-election polls done by all kinds of independent pollsters, all using unique methodology, they all got it wrong. The election results were right. And he said that, uh, yeah, they weren't that wrong. They were just all wrong in one direction. And that's what made it unusual. That they were all, all the pre-election polls seemed to have given three, four, five, six extra points to the Democrats that they did not deserve. But he never stopped to ask, are the results accurate? Are the results accurate, whether they're counted on the, uh, on, on the voting system or whether we factor in all of the dirty tricks and all of the voter suppression? Just taking a quick look at Texas that we've been talking about, their photo ID restriction that was found to be unconstitutional, that was found to be uh, a, a poll tax and purposely discriminatory when it was put in place by Texas Republicans. Well, now we're looking at the results. Now the, the Supreme Court allowed that law to stand, at least for this election, and we find a decrease of some 271,000 voters in Texas this year compared to 2010, the last midterm, even though they had a contested governor's race. 271,000 voters. Fewer. Texas Tribune's Ross Ramsey in the New York Times wrote over the weekend that Texas turnout, already the worst in the country, dropped. The state's population is larger than it was in 2010. More than 14 million Texans registered to vote, according to the Secretary of State. That's up from 13.3 million in 2010. And yet turnout that year was 37.5 percent. This year it was 33.6. It went down. The people who did not show up appear to be Democrats, he writes. The Republican numbers were in the governor's races, while the Democratic numbers were way down. Oh, and we should add, the number of provisional ballots cast doubled compared to 2010. And basically, if you don't have the new type of ID required to vote, then it's doubled, and uh, then you had to vote provisional, and those ballots were doubled. And they won't be counted either.
So those are some of the items that make me say, uh, really? The polls were wrong? Nate Silver? Instead of the election results being skewed towards Republicans? Those are just some of the things. And then we get to the great big story that Greg Palace broke right before the election that concerns millions and millions of voters. The interstate cross-check system. Greg Palast is an investigative reporter whose breaking news stories appear on BBC Television, The Guardian, and now on Al Jazeera, among others. You can and should read his reports at gregpalast.com. He's the author of the New York Times bestsellers, Billionaires and Ballot Bandits, The Best Democracy Money Can Buy, Armed Madhouse, and the highly acclaimed Vulture's Picnic. He is best known in the U.S. for uncovering Catherine Harris's purge of black voters from Florida's voters ro- voter rolls in, tw- in uh, 2000. And now for Al Jazeera, he has uncovered a new voter purge described in his investigative report. Jim Crow returns millions of minority voters threatened by electoral purge. My old friend Greg Palast, welcome back, sir, to the broadcast. Glad to be with you, Brad. All right, sir. You've uh, you've done it again. You've uh, ruined everything by coming out and telling everybody what the hell may be going on behind the scenes, the things that the rest of the media are not reporting on. Uh, election, uh, just a very quickly quote from a, a sentence in your lead here. Election officials in 27 states, most of them Republicans, have launched a program that threatens a massive purge of voters from the rolls. Millions, especially black, Hispanic, and Asian American voters, are at risk. Already tens of thousands have been removed in at least one battleground state, and the numbers are expected to climb, according to a six-month-long nationwide investigation by Al Jazeera America and you, Greg Palace. Tell us, what the hell is this interstate cross-check system, and why should we worry about it? Well, it it depends. If your name is Brad Friedman, (laughs) you probably have to worry because you have a common name. What interstate cross-check is, is a system to hunt down people who have illegally voted twice in the same election in two different states. So, you know, supposedly a bunch of people named David Lee have voted in Virginia, and then, uh, well, not a bunch of people, some guy named David Lee has voted in Virginia. He's also voted in Georgia, in Alaska, in Illinois. This guy's a multiple serial criminal. Voting twice in the same election is punishable by five years in a federal penitentiary. Yeah. A couple of people who have been caught in history have all served time. You don't get away with it. Uh, but uh, now there's this program to hunt down people, look for their Social Security numbers, their dates of birth, all these things to make sure that they've got someone, that they know for sure they've got someone who's voted twice in two different states. And believe it or not, they have found Three and a half million people have voted twice, and that's 6,931,484 names of double voters, which is three and a half million people voting twice. That's amazing. That's just what the Republicans said is going on. Mm -hmm. People are voting twice all over the country. And finally, now we have this database to ferret out these scoundrels. They've proved it. In fact, is Dick Morris... (laughs) said on, on uh, you know, and we listened to him like Bill Clinton did. Sure. He was a counsel to uh, President Clinton. Yes. As Dick Morris said on Fox TV, let's see if I can do Dick Morris correctly. <laughs> um, 
Yep. This is the absolute evidence that <laughs> one million people at least have fraudulently voted twice. Here's the hard evidence. Obama stole the election. People voted twice. We've been talking about it. Here it is, the hard evidence cross-check. That's Thank that's you, actually a, a very good Dick Morris, actually, Greg. Did Thank he you. say that? Is that an actual quote from, yes. from Dick Morris? Yes, it is. Oh, my yes, God. Yes, it is. All right. And uh, if you go to if you go to gregpalace.com and uh, you can click on the link, uh, which will give you my uh, television report for Al Jazeera, uh, which was uh, rebroadcast on Democracy Now!, mm-hmm. and uh, which will have the Dick Morris... <laughs> He's giving you the truth. But here's the thing. We took six months to investigate this. I mean, after all, this is the biggest voting crime wave in American history. You have three and a half million people committing sure. the felony crime of voting twice. And we found that um, they were off a little bit. We didn't find that there were three million double voters. In fact, we didn't find three. We found zero. What this list was, as it turns out, was a list of common names. The only thing that matched people from one, one voter from one state that's supposedly the other voter in the other state is the nothing but the uh, first name and the last name. That's it. Let me give you an example. Yeah. Kevin Antonio Hayes right. of Durham, North Carolina, is supposed to have voted a second time in Virginia under the name Kevin Thomas Hayes. Okay? Now... You may say, well, Kevin Hayes is a common name of black folk for uh, black people, a lot of them. And the middle names don't match. Too bad, Mr. Friedman. This is clearly <laughs> a criminal who deserves to lose his vote. But I spoke to Mr. Hayes. Yeah. And he, and he swore to me that he never voted under the name Thomas, never used the name Thomas. Not only did he not vote twice, but he didn't vote once. But now, aren't they are aren't they matching up uh, other than first and last names? You've got all of these names that, that you found millions of names that had different middle names. Aren't they matching up something else? Social Security, uh, birth date. Uh, so although birth date, they, they can share birth date as well. What about right. Social Security numbers? Are are and those social, getting matched? Yes. Okay, here's what they the advertisement for this program called Interstate Crosscheck is being run out of the state of Kansas. All of the matching. Computer work is done by the state of Kansas, by the Secretary of State, the Catherine Harris of 2014, a guy named Chris Kobach. Yeah. And Kobach went before the, um, the Association of, uh, of Elections Directors for every state and said, we have this program that will find double voters for you. They, uh, we're matching by date of birth, Social Security number, a first name, middle name, last name, suffix, like junior, senior, to make sure that we have perfect matches. Now, how do you get three and a half million matches? The answer is, if you look in the instructions for cross-check, we got the, the uh, hidden instructions. It said, if there is a mismatch of Social Security number, it stays on the names stay on the list. Of the seven million names, a million and a half mismatch middle name. There are 100,000 at least mismatches of junior and senior. Junior and senior used to be considered father and son. Now they're considered the same person using a trick to vote twice, according to Interstate Crosscheck. There's not one date of birth match. They don't even bother putting in the dates of birth. It's not even there. So it was a complete fabrication, a phony lie from top to bottom, and it's a list of common names. Now, why would – now, here's the trick, Brad. Yeah. 
There are 27 states in interstate cross-check matching their voter lists, mm-hmm. first and last name. And interestingly, 24 out of 27, until Tuesday night it was 23 out of 27, 24 out of 27 are Republican-controlled states where it's a Republican-controlled election board, mm-hmm. Secretary of State or Board of Elections Director. It's all Republican states. Now, why would Republican election officials want to remove people whose only commonality is the first name and last name? The answer is this, in that the United States Census keeps a record of every single surname in America and can give you the ethnic breakdown for every surname. If your last name is Washington, it's 84% chance you are African-American. Most of the people with the last name Jackson, believe it or not, are named are African American. In fact, there are exactly eighty thousand and twenty John Jacksons in the United States, or at least according to Crosscheck, there's one guy named John Jackson voting <laughs> eighty thousand and twenty times. Greg, now, yeah, go ahead. And so what they're doing is they're using this to scrub the voter rolls. Now, note, I want to be very careful. They're not knocking out. 7 million voters. We'd catch that right away. Okay, what they are doing is they're playing a game. They're saying, we don't knock out anyone. We send them a postcard saying, just sign your name that, that you're really a voter. Um, now, of course, if you're a, a felonious fraudster, you'd fake that card anyway. But why do they, what is all this cockamamie stuff with we're catching felony voters and all we're doing is sending them a postcard saying, please tell us you're not a felon. Well, this sounds a lot like what what you also uncovered back in 2004 when they were sending out, when they were vote-caging, they were sending out these cards to people, and if they bounced back, uh, they would say, oh, okay, well, I guess there's nobody there. Let's put them on the challenge list, or depending on the state, uh, let's let's remove them from the rolls because they didn't uh, respond, because all the rules are different from state to state. Do we know that, uh, Greg Palace, that they removed people based on this faulty uh, uh, database this year, that they actually challenge them at the polls or remove them entirely yes. from the rolls? Yes, they did. Uh, what we do know, they played the same game. When I, years, uh, back in 2000, I discovered that Catherine Harris had removed tens of thousands of black folk claiming mm-hmm. that, uh, that 58,000 people, most black males, that they were felons, ex-cons not entitled to vote. And, in fact, exactly zero were illegal voters. I want to repeat that. Uh, 58,000 names, mm-hmm. exactly zero. They did the same matching. They took people who were convicted like, with names like Joe Black mm-hmm. and found a Joe Black in Florida and took away their vote, their right to vote. Whether it was now, the right here, Joe Black or not. Right. Here is, here is the same game. And in now one state, Virginia, has proudly announced that they have removed over 41,000 names of double voters from the of supposed double voters from the cross check list how, how 41, many 41,000 that they've removed from in, the rolls based on now, that alone yeah and and yes and and who didn't return their cards uh, sufficiently now that's very important because not only now just so you know the the census yeah tells us that if you have that if you're asian american african american or hispanic the chance that you have a common name mm-hmm. that is one of the thousand most common names in America is 80% higher than if you're white. Mm-hmm. So they're already going on a heavily minority biased list. When they send out postcards, 
who moves? Renters, students, low-income people move much more than people with a suburban home, uh, you know, with a suburban home. Mm -hmm. So that when you send out the cards, now you amplify the capture of minority and low-income voters. So it becomes just like the Catherine Harris list, wonderfully biased towards, uh, uh, you know, to, to nail uh, the Asian-American, African-American, Hispanic voters. And guess what? They're all, they don't, they don't care that they are brown or black or yellow. What they care is that they're blue. These are demogra- uh, demographically Democrats. Mm-hmm. By the way, Asian-Americans, yeah. I mean, everyone you know, knows that African-Americans vote about 91% for the Democratic Party. What most people don't know is that Asian Americans vote 73% on average uh, for the Democratic Party. Three, right. or four, three out of four Asian Americans vote uh, Democratic. Unfortunately for them, under cross-check, uh, seven, uh, one out of five Asian Americans have just one of 30 common last names. That is Chung or Lee, mm-hmm. Nguyen, Park, Ho. That's it. Right. So they are vulnerable here. Now, I've looked at some of the numbers. I was in... North Carolina, for the Hagen Tillis race, right. investigating cross check. Now, and, and let I me say, and let me say, by the way, uh, before you uh, yeah. explain this, uh, Hagen was set to win by yeah. several points. The Democrat down there was set to re- win that U.S. Senate race by several points. He ended up losing by a couple, according to the uh, the results that we have. And since you mentioned Virginia, because I want to ask you about that as well, in, in Virginia, uh, the senator there, uh, Mark Warner, looks like he's going to win. He was supposed to be up by nine points, according to the pre-election polls. It ended up like a photo finish out there in Virginia. So I'm wondering, uh, in Virginia, where you say they took thousands, tens of thousands of voters off that list, did cross-check have an effect on that race? Did cross-check almost cost uh, the Democrats the U.S. Senate seat in Virginia? And is it possible that it cost uh, the U.S. Uh, the Democrats the U.S. Senate seat down in North Carolina, where Kay Hagan was supposed to win, according to the pre-election polls, and according to the results, she ended up getting killed? Well, not so much killed. It was only about two percentage points. Kay Hagan in North Carolina mm-hmm. lost by 48,000 votes. Mm-hmm. The cross-check list was 589,393. Over half a million North Carolinians were on the cross-check list of double voters. And um, just a f- tiny fragment of that, in other words, if North Carolina took out the same percentage, about 12% of the list. Mm-hmm. You see, they don't take out the whole list. They only, otherwise, you'd catch it all. They only take out a segment. Okay, so if they took out the same segment as Virginia, that completely accounts for the difference between the polls, mm-hmm. picking Kay Hagan as the winner, and her loss. is completely accounted for by the cross-check purge. Mm-hmm. In the case of Colorado, Gardner beat Udall, by only 49,000 votes. Mm-hmm. There were 300,000 people on the cross-check list. In Kansas, okay, in Kansas, um, the incumbent, Brownbeck, yeah. because he was considered such a right-wing freak, was set to lose. Correct. Somehow, uh, in, uh, let's see, in Kansas... Let me look up the campus. He was That's down. It. He was uh, Brownback was supposed to lose to the Democrat Paul Davis by two point eight uh, percent, two point eight points right. before the election, according to the polls. 
He ended up losing by four points. It was a uh, almost yeah, almost a seven now, point swing. Now here's the thing. Yeah, thirty three thousand is was the was Brownbeck's uh, surprise margin. Right. Cross check list is one hundred and twenty five thousand. This is where cross check originated. They've been u- purging the list of cross check year after year now, for for many years. And that's Chris Kobach, who himself, the Secretary of State, was set to lose his reelection, and suddenly he wins by like 12 percentage points. 18, he's, 18 he's points. Counting the votes. Yeah, 18. Counting the yes, votes. yes. He was going to lose. It was going to be a tie. He loses. Uh, he wins by 18 points. Chris Kobach, who ran on the idea of stopping voter fraud in Kansas as Secretary of State, he's the papers please guy. He wrote the papers please law in uh, in Arizona, uh, and yeah, and and he won by these huge numbers. So he's the guy who created this list. He's been pretending there's voter fraud. He has found like none in uh, in Kansas. And right. also, he has kept people who haven't turned in citizenship papers. We're talking about 24,000 uh, people who did not turn in citizenship papers. He disallowed them from voting at all right. in the state races. So you now compare the 24,000 yeah. to your numbers uh, from Crosscheck, hundreds of thousands, uh, in a race where Brownback won by what was it 12,000 30,000 something like that uh, I can tell you exactly Brownbeck won by 33,000 and 125,000 people were on the cross check list here's the thing by the way to find out if Brad Friedman or if you have a common name you want to check your name go to Al Jazeera America write in or like go to Google put mm-hmm. in Al Jazeera Jim Crow return mm-hmm. halfway down the article by me this is Greg Palace talking is a box. Put your first name in, your last name in, and see if you are a criminal felon <laughs> voter. Greg, uh, I... We have a million names uh, in, in the database from Crosscheck. Now, you have to understand, no one had these names. Everyone thought this was some type of legit system for finding double voters. It took us six months. No reporter in the United States had ever even asked for the list. There are hundreds and hundreds of articles, including a, a praise for this system by the Washington Post. No one said, well, we'd like to see who these double voters are. No one asked. Okay, no one. We took us six months. They refused us the list because they said, believe it or not, that these seven million voters are criminal suspects, so they don't have to give us the list It's a, yes. because the criminal investigation. It, we went down to, as for Al Jazeera, I went down to um, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Brad, they had hired an FBI agent, a famous ex-FBI agent named Chuck Stuber, whose sole job was to go and arrest these double voters, right? They had all the hysteria, people voting in two states. Now, it's very easy, as Kobach himself had said, it's very easy to find a double voter. You got their names, you got their name, you got their address, and in, in North Carolina, you put your email on your registration. You put your place of work, you put your phone number on. It's, it's easy to find these double voters in North Carolina, yet this FBI agent had not convicted a single person on their list. And there were 190,000 people on the list in North Carolina. Great. 190,000 people. They didn't arrest one. They didn't 
convict one. They didn't arrest one. They couldn't find one. I found a half dozen myself. I went to their homes and talked to them. They just kept them from voting. Greg Palace, I got to get out here, uh, and I'm gonna. So I'm gonna point folks to your towards your uh, your piece. Jim Crow returns at Al Jazeera. Uh, millions of minority voters threatened by electoral purge. I know you've got more coverage on this story coming. I got yep. about 30 seconds here before I let you go, uh, Greg. Uh, you know, I I've been uh, trying to shout from the rooftops about this. <laughs> Nate Silver, uh, you know, said that the pre-election polls were skewed to Democrats. Is that true, or is it more likely, as you're doing your investigative work here, that the results were skewed to Republicans? If the cross-check purges account for the difference between the polls and the final numbers, about half of that difference. That's what happened. People just couldn't vote. Go to gregpalace.com to get the updates, and obviously I'll be letting you know, Brad, you can get the word out. Thank you, brother. Great work. Keep it up. I suspect we'll be talking in the weeks ahead. Greg Pallast, the investigative journalist, best-selling author. Go check out his work, as always, at gregpallast.com. Thank you, brother. Bye. What is known? And the evidence is clear. I'm not alone. There are thousands of us here. This is my democracy. You can keep trying. You can try and try, but I ain't going to listen to you. we got to take a quick break, and then we're coming back with uh, your friend and mine, George W. Bush. Uh, Talk about endless fights and endless wars. You're listening to Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Stay tuned. Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman of bradblog.com. Some very sad news this week. Uh, I learned of the death on uh, Veterans Day of all days, uh, the death of Thomas Young, a 34-year-old Iraq War veteran turned unapologetic peace activist, paralyzed from the chest down. Uh, I uh, had some hand in helping his heartbreaking story reach a national audience, and so Uh, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but hearing George W. Bush reappear on the scenes this week, he's apparently got a a new book out, and uh, (laughs) just, you know, hearing him out of one ear and uh, thinking about the story of Thomas Young, uh, well, here was George W. Bush. He still thinks the Iraq War was a great idea. Here was George W. Bush just this weekend speaking with Bob Schieffer on CBS This Morning. Do you have any regrets about that, Mr. President? Uh, well, no, I have regrets that, uh, that... I mean, do you ever feel that maybe it was the wrong decision? No, I think it was the right decision. Uh, my, my regret is that uh, a violent group of people have risen up again. Uh, this is Al-Qaeda plus. And um, I put in the book, they need to be defeated. And uh, I hope we do. It's, it's uh, I hope the, the strategy works. 
Yeah, the strategy to send other people's kids to do it, uh, to clean up the mess that you made, George W. Bush, with your Iraq war. Back in 2005, uh, uh, I was on a vacation. I was camping up in the mountains, and I heard them bad-mouthing Cindy Sheehan down there. I had known her because I had interviewed her a couple of months earlier. Um, I like to say I know knew Cindy Sheehan before she became Cindy Sheehan. And I thought, man, i got to get down there and tell what's really going on in Crawford, Texas, where Cindy Sheehan and a bunch of veterans had gathered to protest George W. Bush, who had claimed— that a bunch of kids who had just been killed out there in Iraq had died, quote, for a noble cause. Cindy Sheehan's son, Casey, had been killed on April 4, 2004, in Sadr City, and she wondered what that noble cause was that he had died for. She tried to get a meeting with the president, with George W. Bush. She wanted to know the answer to that question. He refused to meet with her, said, oh, I met with her after uh, after her, her kid died, so I don't need to meet with her again. It ended up uh, being a, an amazing summer in Crawford, Texas, in 110-degree heat uh, as uh, the, the, the grip on uh, the American psyche that 9-11 had finally began to broke, break, and people finally began to say, wait, something's wrong here. This isn't right. And they stood up and they protested. On August 28, 2005, uh, I was down there and I interviewed. I was there doing about nine hours a day from the ground in Camp Casey. The mainstream media, they weren't there. They were there, but they weren't covering what was going on. They were doing, you know, 15 seconds at the top of the hour. I was talking to the people as they were coming in, including 25-year-old U.S. Army Specialist Thomas Young. He and his then-wife Bree had driven 13 hours from Kansas City to Crawford on their honeymoon to support Cindy Sheehan. Young had joined the Army just two days after 9-11. He was later sent to Iraq, and during a harrowing rescue mission in an unarmored truck, he received a bullet to his spine that left him paralyzed from the chest down. He was shot on the same day that uh, Casey Sheehan was shot in the same town on the same day as Casey Sheehan. He was paralyzed. He was in extraordinary pain. His body was unable to to even uh, cool itself in this 110 degrees heat, and yet he showed up uh, with ice packs tucked into his clothes to try to keep him uh, to try to keep him cool. Bush refused to meet with Sheehan, but Young said he wanted to meet with George W. Bush. He had some questions to ask, and uh, that was when I interviewed him. His first national interview. I'm going to play you some of this. Um, and uh, then I'll talk a little bit more about Thomas Young and what he did after that uh, in his life and the struggles he had. This was my interview, uh, at least a few minutes, from my interview with Thomas Young, August 28, 2005, inside Camp Casey. Please forgive a lot of the background noise, particularly at the beginning. It gets a little bit easier to hear uh, as, as the interview goes on. Uh, thank you guys for joining us uh, here on the Brad Show. Thomas Young is a 25-year-old disabled vet from Iraq. And uh, you were which branch of the service? I didn't get that on my notes here. I was uh, with the regular Army. With the regular Army. And you were actually injured on the same day in the same city with Casey Sheehan? Uh, that is correct. Uh, were you with his, uh, with his group at that time? Uh, we were in the same division, but... Uh, 
It's very possible we may have been on the same mission, but we had nothing to do with what his people were doing. And that was, uh, forgive me, Car was that in Carbon? No, Sodder City, was it? Sodder City, that's correct. And what was the mission that you were on? Are you able to speak about that now, what the mission uh, well, was? I'm out of the Army, so I can speak about whatever I want. All right, boy. <laughs> um, the mission I had been put on was uh, to provide security for some uh, down soldiers from another company. The circumstances were kind of uh, messed up in that we, uh, we loaded 25 soldiers into the back of a truck that was only meant to hold 18. So uh, Was that a rescue mission? Uh, it was a rescue mission, yeah. Okay. We, were the, uh, we were the security force for the rescue mission. All right. And uh, so we took a safe route into the uh, city to, to provide the security. Uh, the mission was completed. And instead of turning around to go back the safe route, we decided to uh, go uh, the scenic route through Sauter City. <laughs> the scenic route. Yes. Why was that decision made? Any idea? I, I still to this day have no idea. And uh, as I've tried to uh, call around and go back to Fort Hood to try to get some kind of apology to achieve what the psychiatrists call closure, no one's really been able to answer me about who made that decision or what it was. But uh, we went in with the truck that had no cover and no armor. And uh, so as we're driving through the heart of the city, overcrowded in the truck as we were, it was basically like shooting ducks in a barrel for the uh, insurgents that were on the roof. And uh, they didn't even have to generally aim. They could just shoot and be guaranteed of a hit. And unfortunately, I was one of the uh, things that got hit. One of the things... So it was a sniper. Whether it was a sniper or whether it was just some guy on the roof with an AK-47, I, I really don't know. But uh, as we're driving away to get out of the firefight, the truck overheated, as it had been known oh, to man. do several times that past week, which is why it hadn't left the base and was supposed to be with the mechanics that day instead of out on a mission. Had you been shot yet at that point before it overheated? I had been shot before it overheated. Okay. Oh, man. So an Iraqi bus pulls up behind the uh, truck, and luckily one of the soldiers that hadn't been hit jumped out and hijacked it. We loaded all the uh, all us wounded onto the bus, and I don't know if the, uh, the actual Iraqi drove the bus to the base or if one of the soldiers did, but we finally got to the base. They uh, airloaded us wounded onto uh, helicopters where we uh, were taken to a field hospital in Kuwait. And it was in Kuwait where uh, I went through surgery uh, in a hospital that had flies going everywhere. It made me very safe about my uh, uh -huh. medical care. But I had surgery to remove uh, bone fragments and uh, shrapnel from both my uh, back and my knee where I was shot, thankfully, after I had already been paralyzed and couldn't feel it. Uh, so you've, you've lost use of both legs at this time? I'm paralyzed from the chest down. Chest down. I, I have used complete use of my arms and hands, but from the chest down, I'm... Uh, Worthless. How many? Uh, oh, you're not worthless. You're not oh. worthless. Uh, how many uh, uh, folks were were wounded and killed on that day on that mission? Do you know? On on that mission, in my truck personally, I think there were three or four that had been shot. Is that considered an ambush, or uh, just uh, you'll have to excuse me? I'm a civilian. Is that? Is that, uh, is that I'm a civilian also, so it's you all are right. now. Yeah. Was the truck that you were in at the time, was it properly armored? You said oh, it was... No. There was no armor on it whatsoever, nor was there a top cover to the... Uh, a, a, a canvas cover, so that all they, they... They didn't even have to aim, like I said. It was just... 
uh, in the Sodder City because we saw those pictures coming back here. Even out here, even our media told us what was going on with some of that stuff. We saw the the folks, the, the you know, the thousands of, of, of I guess insurgents that were holding that city at that time. They would send you into a city like that with a. That was the uh, that was the plan, botched up as it may have been. This whole war seems to have been botched up, Thomas Young. Completely. And, uh, were, how long uh, were you in the Army before uh, this happened? Before I was deployed, I had been at Fort Hood for two and a half years. Are you, uh, are you down in Texas now? Are you from Texas? I'm actually, I drove down here with my wife from uh, Kansas City, Missouri. From Kansas City, Missouri? Yep. My home state. I'm from St. Louis. Good deal. All right. Well, not such a good deal that you're from St. Louis, but at least you're in Missouri. You got a problem with St. Louis? Uh, no. Actually, when Our barbecue I, is better than yours, Tom. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I know it's your show, but shut your face, Brad. Um, well, when the Cardinals went to the World Series last year, there were plenty of Kansas Cityans who are all... At least it's a Missouri team. Yeah. Although I can pretty much bet yeah. that if the Royals went to the World Series, you St. Louisans wouldn't go. Well, at least a Missouri team. We would have. Oh, look, sure. Look, let's not start a fight. You're a disabled All vet. Right. I'd, I'd hate to uh, punch we're, we're out. We're here for the but same reason. But I'll do reason, it. I'll punch out a disabled oh, vet oh, if I okay. have to. I think that's a federal offense. Is that? <laughs> I'm not sure. But that's what I use when people want to talk to me about that. <laughs> you just, that's a federal offense. You can't punch a disabled vet. I'm a hero, dang it. That's a, that's a, don't touch me. You know, it's odd that we had no problem coming up with $300 billion to uh, fight this war. But uh, we need to cut these uh, these bases, these uh, VA hospitals. I think there's a, it's a $50 billion savings or something. Um, when you got guys coming home, it's by the scores of thousands who need care. We need to save the $50 billion there. But the $300 billion to go fight the damn thing in the first place, not a problem. Well, the, uh, the way the Army works is they'll fight like hell to get you in. Hmm. But even if you're supposed to get out uh, on a regular time... At the end of your contract, they'll uh, they'll him and haw to try to keep get you to stay, but once you're out, either uh, by your own time of duty or after you've been injured, the VA, the army doesn't necessarily particularly like to uh, take care of the ones that are no longer in. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the exactly. way out. Exactly. Well, I want to thank you for making this trip, especially on your honeymoon. Perhaps I should thank Bree the most for making this trip on her honeymoon. Uh, thank you guys for speaking up. And uh, you had a message, I believe, for the guy, for our neighbor over there. I think he lives uh, not far. Uh, yeah, just uh, just down the road. Yeah. Uh, well, I I was watching the uh, the news back home, and I I I saw and heard that George that uh, President Bush's uh, reasoning for not meeting with Cindy was that he had already met with her. Well. Uh, my life, and I don't mean to say it's been as seriously affected as uh, Mrs. Sheehan's, but it's been quite seriously affected none the least. But I want to know uh, what's his reasoning for not, if, if he will meet with me, that's great. But if not, uh, what would his reason be? Because he's never met me. And uh, I also wanted to find out and talk with him about uh, why my life isn't worth, uh, my quality of life isn't worth retaining through uh, the wonders of stem cell research. Is that what you would ask him if he Oh, because if, if I mean, did? yeah, that's a great question. If if I if I have the uh, the well, if I had the spine and I did to step up and uh, go to war for him, why doesn't he have the spine to uh, try to help give me mine back? Well said. 
Thomas Young, I would uh, perhaps we can uh, help him. I would love to, uh, you know, the signs and the folks saying meet with Cindy all over here. Uh, Bush, meet with Cindy, etc. I would love to help someone uh, paint up a sign that says Bush, meet with Thomas. So the next and time they, uh, you know, say that, oh, Cindy Sheehan has already met, and uh, maybe the AP would even take a photograph. We can uh, hopefully make up a sign. Maybe that'll get uh, AP out of the air condition and uh, get the message to the president that you'd like to meet with him, that it's not just Cindy Sheehan who has a few questions for him. I think that would be great. Maybe CNN will even take notice. Uh, sometimes you got to do that to get the message out. As we've seen, look what Cindy Sheehan had to do. Well, I, I decided that I wasn't going to be happy until uh, Bill, O'Reilly, Bill O'Reilly called me unpatriotic. Um, I hate to remind you, Thomas, they're fair and balanced. They are fair and balanced. That's You're the, right. That's the that's real why, news. I, you that's why Mancow goes on uh, Fox and Friends in the morning and refers yeah. to us as the dummy crats. You're the. Are you we, one of the dummycrats? We are, we are dummycrats, according to the Fair and Balanced Network. Nice going. What a jerk. Hey, man cow, come on down and meet Thomas and tell him to his face that he's a dummycrat. It's a federal offense, you know. That's what I... At least that, in my world, it's a federal offense. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you join up... At, was that, would that have been after uh, September 11th that you joined I, up? I called my recruiter on uh, September 13th, as a matter of fact. Oh, you did? And that's why? I mean, you, that happened, and you said, I want to get on board here? Uh-huh. Did you support uh, the Afghanistan war? I, I was fully in line to go to Afghanistan. When did when did you realize uh, something's wrong about Iraq? Uh, after I had been at uh, Fort Hood for a while, and our, our battalion commander started to uh, get crazier and crazier as he was uh, talking more and more about where we were going. The more it got into it, I didn't like what he was saying. What was he saying? He was talking about uh, how we were about going to Iraq and how we were going to be the windshield and not the bug. So we sadly sang for them our last song, and reluctantly we said so long. We did our best to let them know that we care for every last one of them that's over there. Whether we belong over there or not, somebody over here loves us and needs us. Well, now that's about all that there is to tell about that little trip in the living hell. And if I ever go back over there anymore, hope there's none of our boys there for me to sing for. I hope that war's over with. And they all come back home to stay in peace. That was my interview with Thomas Young 10 years ago next summer, uh, August 28, 2005. Uh, he never got that meeting with Bush, but they did paint up that sign that said, Mr. Bush, why won't you meet with me? The AP carried it. His story got out, and the following year, uh, CBS 60 Minutes told his story. And then it was told in a heart-wrenching documentary by Phil Donahue and Ellen Spiro called Body of War, which I highly recommend. Uh, we are seeing our interview with Thomas Young is seen in both of those Uh, Last year, in 2013, uh, he wrote a last letter because he was planning to allow himself to die. His physical condition had gotten so bad over the uh, 10 years. He said, my day of reckoning is upon me. Yours will come, Mr. Bush and Mr. Cheney. I hope you will be put on trial, but mostly I hope for the sake, 
for your sake, that you find the moral courage to face what you have done to me and to many, many others who deserve to live. I hope that before your time on earth ends, as mine is ending now, you will find the strength of character to stand before the American public and the world, and in particular the Iraqi people, and beg for forgiveness. Thomas didn't die last year, but he did die this year. We got the news on Veterans Day 2014. The cause of his death is currently unknown, but the cause of his life is very clear. Standing up for his fellow veterans and against the war and for those who are underserved uh, by what has been done to them by this country. He died just weeks shy of his 35th birthday, another victim of George W. Bush, another casualty of their cynical and criminal war. Thank you, Thomas, for all. Now rest in peace, my friend, finally in peace. My thanks to Odie McClay of KPFT, Pacifica Radio in Houston, for meeting us there and helping us get on the air 10 years ago in Crawford. Okay, uh, we don't have a lot of time. We're running late, so let's get right to our Green News Report. Time is not on our side. The final United Nations Climate Change Report. We have the means to limit climate change and build a more prosperous, sustainable future. Good news. There's still hope. Plus, flashback. It is mankind and his activities which are changing the environment of our planet in damaging and dangerous ways. To when conservatives accepted science. Margaret Thatcher is a left-wing tree-hugging pinko. All of that and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. The Environmental Committee, currently run uh, Barbara Boxer, replaced by probably James Inhofe. Yes, the global warming believer is out and the global warming skeptic is in. So finally, the Environmental Committee can focus on important issue like, who's stealing all our polar bears? Yeah, what about that? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, while we have been mired in the election over the past week or so, and looking forward to the U.S. Senate Environmental Committee being taken over by Senator James Inhofe, uh, America's foremost climate change denier, uh, there was something else going on at the U.N., and of course... It was getting buried by the election. Well, yeah, the United Nations released its final climate science report from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change two days before the midterm elections. This report is more blunt than ever. The planet is warming. More than half is due to human activities. And the implications for the future are serious and require urgent action. Climate change will leave no part of the world untouched by the impacts. Human influence on the climate system is clear. The more we disrupt our climate, the more we risk severe, pervasive, and irreversible impacts. Severe, pervasive, and irreversible. That was the chairman of the IPCC, Rajendra Pachari, at the press conference for the release of the report. Or as we call him around here, Mr. Chuckles. This is the IPCC scientists' final synthesis report, the culmination of three previous monster installments over the last year on the science of global warming, the impacts, and the solutions. The key warning, we've already burned two-thirds of the way through our carbon budget. That's the maximum 
amount of carbon we can burn if we want global temperatures to avoid going over 2 degrees Celsius. That's about 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit above pre-industrial temperatures. And that's by just the end of the century, right? The goal is about 4 degrees Fahrenheit. Keep it from going over that before the end of this century, right? Right. The IPCC warns we must ramp down to zero emissions by 2100. Zero emissions? Yeah, that's kind of the bottom line. Yeah, good luck with that. Now, most importantly, according to UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, there is hope. The good news is that if we act now, immediately and decisively, we have the means to build a better and more sustainable world. Now, the IPCC finds that we already have all of the technology we need, and action on climate change is much, much cheaper now than dealing with the consequences will be later. We have all the technology we need to get to zero emissions by the end of the century? Yes, yes, we do. But time is running out, according to American scientist and IPCC author Dr. Michael Oppenheimer on CBS News. We have a small window of opportunity the next couple of decades where we can slow this thing down and start to reverse the trend. In other words, the longer we wait, the more difficult and the more expensive it will be. Now, to that end, final negotiations on an international emissions reduction treaty will occur in Paris in December 2015. And, of course, any such treaty obviously doesn't have a snowball's chance in hell of being ratified by a hostile, Republican-controlled U.S. Senate. Gosh, I wish we had warned people about that. So, State Department negotiators are reportedly pursuing treaty mechanisms that don't don't require Senate approval. Treaty mechanisms. Yeah, like going through the Montreal Protocol, for example. That's the world's first international climate treaty to repair the ozone hole. A, a treaty that has already been approved by the U.S. Senate. Oh, yes. Finally, Saturday, November 8th, was the 25th anniversary of the very conservative British Prime Minister Margaret Thatcher's speech to the United Nations, urging action on climate change. It is mankind and his activities which are changing the environment of our planet in damaging and dangerous ways. The problem of global climate change is one that affects us all, and action will only be effective if it's taken at the international level. It's no good squabbling over who is responsible or who should pay. Each country has to contribute, and those countries who are industrialized must contribute more to help those who are not. And funny thing is, President Ronald Reagan agreed with her. That's the world we used to live in. Of course, Thatcher's speech at the U.N. has gotten somewhat lost to history since the very next day the Berlin Wall came down. Yep. For much more on all of our stories today and the ones we couldn't get to, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Don't forget, you can download our twice-weekly reports anytime via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. If I could turn back time, if I could find a way, I'd take back those words that'll hurt you, and you'd stay. There you go. My thanks to Desi Doyen, our producer, to G, our soundboard operator. Uh, we will be back, same Brad time, same Brad channel, next week. And my thanks, of course, to Greg Palace. Check out his work at gregpalace.com. Didn't get to the big China story, but tune in to greennews.bradblog.com for that big report tomorrow. 
from you can find me until then at uh, on the Twitters at the Brad Blog and of course at bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. Good night, America. Mm-hmm.